The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Chapter 21, and I'm going to begin in verse uh, 17. It says, so here's Paul the Apostle is coming into Jerusalem, and he's going to be giving a report because he's been doing missionary journeys all around the countries of the Mediterranean. You remember that the Roman Empire was basically Europe, and Paul was going around the Mediterranean, often by ship, sometimes walking, planting churches everywhere. And now he's come back to Jerusalem and to give them a report. They sent him out. Uh, they sent him out, you know, and prayed for him and just said, hey, go out and, you know, preach the gospel to the Gentiles especially and plant churches. And so when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James. Uh, now, that's his anglicized name. His Hebrew name is Jacob. But this is the same James, who is the half-brother of Jesus, who during Jesus' three and a half years of ministry did not actually believe in his brother. But after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he appeared to James as the Messiah. And James then became one of the uh, leaders of the church of Jerusalem. And all the elders were present, and when we had greeted them, he told in detail, this is Paul, those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. He gave a, a missions report. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. It was a good report. I mean, churches are being planted, and the, you know, Rome is on fire with the Holy Spirit all over the place. And they said to him, now you see, brother, how many myriads, that Greek word means tens of thousands, the, the literal Greek word, and then it's multiple myriads, so it's multiples of tens of thousands of Jews who believed Jesus is the Messiah. It's very important for us to realize that the early church, it sounds like there were only a handful or two of Jews who believed. It's not true. There was 3,000, then later there was 5,000, and now we read there are multiples of tens of thousands of Jewish people who believe that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And they're all zealous for the law, but they have informed about you. So now there's problems here among the Jewish believers. Paul, we need to tell you something. Uh, that all the Jews uh, who are among the Gentiles, so they're saying that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. That's a big problem. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. They said, look, there's a problem. Uh, you're stirring up controversy. Good on you for what you've done in starting all these churches, but some of the Jewish brethren have heard rumors about you that you're now against Moses, you're against the law, you're telling them to leave all of our Jewish customs, and it's created a big problem, so here's what we'd like you to do. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. This doesn't mean for salvation. It just means the Ten Commandments are still the Ten Commandments. We can't just make up rules on our own. But concerning the Gentiles who believe 
We have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. In other words, that was the big uh, debate back in Acts chapter 15 when Jews started getting saved. They said, well, do all the Gentiles, in order to get saved, do they need to be every male circumcised? Do they need to come under not only the laws, but the customs and the traditions of Jewish people? And they basically said, no. Gentiles can remain Gentiles. They just need to believe in Jesus. And yes, the law teaches us basically about right and wrong, but they don't have to become Jews. So that's what they were basically saying there. But now there's controversy uh, and there are rumors. So I want to just give a word about rumors. Rumors are not usually based on fact, but they thrive on half-truths, prejudices, and outright lies. Now, this had to be very discouraging for the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's got a tremendous missions report to give of all these churches that he has started all over the Roman Empire. Corinth, letter of Corinthians, Galatia, letter of the Galatians, Ephesus. He started a church in Philippi, in Colossae. These are all the books, all the books of the New Testament are cities where Paul started churches. But Paul was, among the Jewish people, greatly misunderstood. And I wanna just give you a word, uh, because no one likes to be misunderstood. Can I hear an amen on that? It's lonely, it's frustrating, it leaves you feeling helpless, and then hopeless, and if you're not careful, can leave you resentful of others. So we have to be very, very careful. The Bible does talk about spreading gossip or spreading rumors, or I heard, and then you make an assumption, and then you say, and just people, you know, are getting into talking about it, and it goes around and around and around. So the Bible is against it. It mentions the sin uh, of gossip, and when you talk bad about someone else, and especially if you find out later, whoops, what I said and passed on was not true, I didn't know, and God holds us accountable uh, for our words. So Christians, one of the things of being a disciple and following Jesus Christ is be careful what you say with your mouth and walk in and speak truth. Because here's when you say something, even innocently, but then that is not true, you open the door to demonic attack. The enemy will use, because it's, you know, the devil's looking for a way to bring the church down. And in the book of Job, we, we start off learning that the devil goes there and he's accusing us. He's constantly looking for an excuse to accuse you. And it doesn't have to be the big sins of, oh, I murdered someone or whatever else, but the daily chatter and the looseness of our tongues or the carelessness of what we have said as a child. And the same thing with little children. They will say things at a young age that you're like, that's totally inappropriate. You can't say that. Not here. Not in this situation. You know, and you're, you're, you're like, ah, you have to teach them. So also with being a child of God. So be careful what you say. And the reason is in the, before the throne of God, the devil uses legality. He says, hey, they just lied. So I need to be able to go after them. They just, uh, you know, spoke gossip about someone. I get to go after them. So it opens a window and it opens a door. Having said that, I want to say this. 
If you are a child of God, I don't care if you're a brand new believer or if you've walked with the Lord for many, many years, you must realize that being filled with the Holy Spirit, you know, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual warfare going on. So what I wanna say to you is as a child of God, knowing that the enemy is coming after us, you know, goes about his roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, as a child of God, you will be misunderstood. You can't escape it. We live in a fallen world, we live in a broken world, and there are going to be people, and the ones that hurt the most are the ones that supposedly are your friends, or they're your family, or they're the closest to you, and you're finding they're the ones chipping me from the back and I didn't even know. So the Bible even has specific rules about if you have issues and you have things, you actually go to the person. And that way you can say, hey, is this right, is this true? No. So you deal with it instead of, oh, it's going, it's got you know, rounds. But thinking about being misunderstood, how about Noah? You think Noah was misunderstood with the boat thing for like 120 years? How about Moses? He thought, wow, I, God revealed himself to me in a burning bush. The people will be excited to know I'm your leader, here I come. And they're like, who are you? So Moses was misunderstood. Joseph, of all his brothers, he was the guy that had the most character and the most integrity. He told the truth. He was a man of his word. But he got lied about by a guy named Potiphar who believed his wife who lied about Joseph. He was misunderstood. How about all of the Old Testament prophets? Jesus said, you guys, you, you abused and lied about all the prophets. Then, once they're dead, you build big, you know, tombstones to honor them. But what good is it if they're dead? You didn't honor them when they were alive. How about Jesus? Have you ever read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? And they say, oh, Jesus was born illegitimately. Uh, you know, and, or they'll say, and he wasn't even born here. Or they'll say, he, yeah, he's miraculous. They couldn't argue with the miracles, but they said the source of his miracles is the devil. It's Beelzebub that's doing, he's hypnotizing people or he's doing sorcery or witchcraft. And Jesus had all of these misunderstandings that followed him. That's going to be part of being a child of God. Paul was rumored to be teaching Jewish people. Imagine this, forsake the law, forget the Ten Commandments. We get to make it up as we go. Even circumcision, you're Jewish, yeah, it's now a new day. We got a new covenant, you don't need to get circumcised just because you're Jewish, forget about it. So being Jewish doesn't mean anything anymore? Wrong. Well, and especially if you're trying to win other Jews to believe in Jesus, and those other Jews here that you're not, you don't follow Moses, you don't follow the Ten Commandments, you don't even want to be circumcised, then what does it mean to be a Jew? So it's going to be hard to witness to Jews that Jesus is the Messiah if the Messiah is fulfilling Jewish prophecies and a Jewish way of life, even down to their customs. So Paul is encouraged uh, to tell the Jewish people that look, yes, remain Jewish. Just as we're not trying to make the Gentiles Jews, nor are we telling Jews, you can't be Jews. You can be circumcised. If you're Jewish, you should be. It's a very special honor to represent the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And there are other customs that being Jewish, you can follow. And yes, the law teaches us right from wrong. We are not, now that you know you're not saved by keeping the law, but it still tells you what's right and what is wrong, and it should be taught. It is, God doesn't change 
his laws or what is holy or righteous or moral. So the leaders suggest that Paul go with these four men and they go, look, uh, they're, they're doing, an, uh, this will show that you're still Jewish. And go with the men, give an offering at the temple, listen to this. Um, the temple had all kinds of interesting things that were part of what was gonna be offered. And Paul didn't say, no, I can't bring those offerings because Jesus died on the cross and it's once for all and it's over with and we don't do those things anymore. He was like, no, okay, I'll do that. He doesn't say the temple is evil, nor does, uh, you know, that, that Jesus doing it on the cross removes all meaning from the temple. So to show his support of the Nazarite custom, he paid for these other four men's offerings. Let me tell you what the offerings were. At the Jewish temple, this is after the resurrection, after Pentecost, in the Christian era. But Paul, as a Jew, he, brought, he paid for two lambs, one ram, a basket of unleavened cakes, and wafers, a grain offering, and a drink offering, showing, yes, I am still Jewish, I'm glad and thankful to be Jewish, and I identify with the Jewish people, and what you've been spreading about me are lies and gossip, because everywhere I've gone, the first place I go when I go to a new place is to the synagogue, and I share with the Jewish people, and I am Jewish, and I love them, and I'm with them, and I'm not trying to, you know, turn them away from the law or from Moses or circumcision or being Jewish or anything like that. So here's what I want to do. In light of that, I want to share with you a little bit about why I believe this year's Feast of Trumpets is very, very important and very, very significant. And one way or another, I hope that you will participate in this. Okay, so let's follow this. Number one, let's highlight the significance of the Feast of Trumpets coming Monday night, September the 6th. Um, by the way, so if you've heard this before, great, but if you, I'm reminding you, if you've not heard it before, I think it'll be very significant. The Feast of Trumpets is the first day of the seventh month in the Jewish calendar. All three of the fall feasts are in the seventh month. It's the holiest month of the year. So trumpets, uh, which I believe will be the rapture, Yom Kippur, 10 days later, uh, which we'll be having communion for, is when I believe it shows Christ died on the cross for our sins. Tabernacles is when the kingdom is going to come and be fulfilled. How many of you cannot wait for the kingdom of heaven to come to the earth? Wait, 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 wait. Do you realize we're gonna be switching governments? There will be no more political parties. Zero. Wait a minute. No more elections. No more politicians. Because they're not needed. Doesn't that sound nice? Don't, don't we want the king to come and the kingdom of heaven to come? No wonder he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the feasts are all fulfilled in Jesus our Lord. And they're dress rehearsals. So one of the reasons we're doing this, I hope the Lord comes. Maybe he won't come. And then we think about, okay, now we got another year. But they're called dress rehearsals. God wanted him to do it every year on the exact same day. Do you know how many times the Jewish people have been sacrificing lambs on Passover? doing it over and over again on the exact same day in God's calendar, 1,500 years. 1,500 Passovers. 
They're called rehearsals. But one year, when Jesus of Nazareth came, that year on Passover, it was not a rehearsal. It switched like that, and it was the real deal. And when Jesus was up on the cross, he, as John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sins of the whole world. Passover became reality, and it was fulfilled. So we rehearse, we're remembering, we're preparing, but one day those will become the reality. Now here's something very interesting. I'm gonna just go through this very quickly, but this particular new Jewish year uh, is the, in the you know, Jewish calendar is called 5782, and this Jewish new year is also a leap year. It's a, for the Jewish calendar. So the Jewish calendar kind of is different than our calendar. And they go kind of, you know, by the moon. Um, and by the way, uh, it is on the, the Feast of Trumpets is the only feast that is known on the first, it has to be on the first day of the month, which means you have to, you have to look up in the sky, two Jewish priests have to be able to look up in the sky and say, okay, tonight I saw the crescent moon, the first one. But they said, maybe you wouldn't see it, maybe it's cloudy, whatever, and so they, they thought, you know, it's all the other ones, all the other feasts are somewhere in the middle of the month, and they follow the moon. But the first one is so important, they said, we don't wanna miss, you know, maybe, so let's do it over two days. That way we'll make sure we got that first moon. So the Feast of Trumpets, the only feast of the seven that was at the beginning, the first day of the month, that is celebrated over two days to make sure they didn't miss the real day of the first crescent moon, became known as the feast you do not know the day or the hour. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said, I'm coming like a thief in the night, but you won't know the day or the hour. If you were Jewish back in the days of Paul, you go, I know what he's talking about. It's like if somebody said to you, hey, I'm gonna be coming to your house, I'm from Europe, and I'm coming to an American home, it'll be in November, and you're like, okay, yeah, what weekend will it be? Well, we'll be having turkey and Thanksgiving and pumpkin pie. What's he gonna say? Oh, Thanksgiving, because those things are associated. So the whole don't know the day or the hour is associated with the Feast of Trumpets. So here's what happens. Because they go by the moon, they, they um, to get back onto the biblical calendar, uh, once, you know, every leap year in the Jewish calendar, they have to add a whole extra month to catch up and to get everything aligned. So here's what's interesting. This coming year, starting Monday night, is a Jewish leap year, which means there's a Jewish month called the month of Adar. And this year they've got to catch up to what's happening in the sun, moon, and the stars. So they add an, a second month of Adar. Now here's what's interesting. What happens in the month of Adar? There's, a, there's probably the greatest celebration of the Jewish people. They look forward to this one above all things during the year. That is when they have the Feast of Purim. That's when they remember Esther, the book of Esther, when the Jews almost got destroyed by that you know, maniac named Haman. He, Haman, in the Old Testament, is like the Hitler of recent times. I hate the Jews, I gotta get the Jews, destroy the Jews, kill the Jews. So the whole story of Esther uh, is about Haman and how that whole story, 
you know, he, he builds a gallows, he's gonna hang Mordecai, uh, Esther's uncle on it, and then all of a sudden it all gets taken away. It, it, it's all reversed, the Jews are spared. So they are shouting and they are rejoicing. It's the greatest month of joy in the Jewish calendar. On a leap year, they get to do that twice. And listen to this. So it's a, what a leap year represents is a year of double blessings, double rescues, double crushing the Hamans of your generation, the double reversal of everything that was going against God's people bad now is gonna turn out to be gloriously good. Can I hear an amen on that? Does that sound good? So that's interesting. It is also a Shemitah year. Yeah, I hear you saying Shemitah. Say the word Shemitah. Shemitah. Be careful how you say that. Shemitah. Shemitah is the year of rest. Do you know that God told uh, the children of Israel, I want you to let the land rest in a Shemitah every seven years. If you're a farmer, leave the land alone. Don't farm it. Don't do anything to it. Don't till it. Uh, just leave it alone. And God said, I want you to do that. Israel thought, you know, if we farm during the seventh Shemitah year, we could still make a lot of money. We'll do it next time the Shemitah comes. So they didn't do it, and then they didn't do it, and every seventh year, and they kind of ignored letting the land rest for 490 years. How many would say that God's pretty patient? You know, he said, hey, do this and let the land. I mean, if you're into the ecology and the earth, in the Bible, it says you got to give it a year to let it just rest. Let the land rest. In our own country, we didn't do that in Oklahoma, and we paid heavy dividends, if you know our history. So when God said after 490 years, he was very patient, and then he said, hey, you guys owe me every seventh year for the last 490 years. 490 divided by seven equals 70. So what did God say? He goes, you've been worshiping idols. Not only are you not following my laws, taking care of the land and the sheep and the cattle and all that, and the trees, and the fruit, you're not, you're not even following me, you're worshiping idols. Look, fine, you wanna worship idols in my face, not in my house. Go to the capital of Babylon, worship idols there. I will cure you because that bad boyfriend's gonna bring you down. But I'm sending you to his house and guess how long the children of Israel went to Babylon 70 years exactly. God is a God of economy. We reap what we sow. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh destruction. Sow to the spirit, you're going to reap the fruit of the spirit. So this next year, this is a word, let's, let's just personalize it. If this next year is a Shemitah year, we're not all farmers, but spiritually, here's how we can apply it. This next year, come what may, we are to enter into the rest in an intentional way in our spirit, in our heart, in our life, and our attitude. Let the world do what it's doing, but we are going to enter in the rest. Can I hear an amen? Yes. Look at me, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 3, and then 9 and 10. But let's read this out loud together. For we who have believed do enter that rest. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. There comes a point and a time in every believer's life where you 
the, religion is where you feel guilty and you know you've got sins, but you're doing good deeds to try to balance your life out. That is horrible. Guilt, and now every good thing you do, you're not doing it from your heart. You're not doing it because you love God. You're doing it because, well, I feel guilty and I gotta do this and I should've and I would've and whatever. That's religion. Religion burns people out. God doesn't want religion. And here, our good deeds don't give us a moment of eternity in heaven. That's why Jesus did all the work for our salvation. By our entering into him and letting his blood wash and cleanse us, we're forgiven. Now, whatever good deeds we do, they don't earn salvation and they don't earn points for eternity. Now it's because we're totally forgiven. We're made the sons and daughters of God. He's got eternal plans for us. He wants to use his God glory to bless his children and share the royalty of his kingdom for all of eternity. So you actually, by his grace, your heart goes, Dad, I've learned that when I disobey you or I follow the worldly idols, the bad boyfriends, they beat me up and leave. They don't love me, but you're good. You're a good dad and you, you make me a good son, and you bless me, and you provide for me, and you teach me, and you lead me, and you guide me. I am doing this because I love you, and because I can trust in you. And I've learned by experience, not just you told me, but I've learned by experience, that when I follow your ways, I'm happy. I'm not full of fear and anxiety. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I love walking in the spirit. I love walking with you. So it becomes a blessing. And that's what, that's what it means to walk in the rest, enter into the rest. To God be the glory, great things he has done. Then real quick, I wanna just say this. So the Feast of Trumpets is associated with the birth of Isaac, whose name means laughter. So here, between now and Monday, if you can come Monday night, I hope you can come, especially if you've never been to one of these before. But even if you can't, between now and Monday, I'd like you to read Genesis chapter 21. Because our Jewish brothers and sisters, every year for the Feast of Trumpets, read Genesis chapter 21. What is Genesis chapter 21 all about? It's about Abraham and Sarah having a miracle child when they shouldn't be able to because they are old. And they name their child Isaac. Actually, God tells them to name the child Isaac. What does Isaac mean? It means laughter. Do you remember that Abraham laughed when God told him he would have a son? And then when he said that Sarah would have a child, she laughed. My, you know, she was like 90. So I went to my granny Bentley one time when she was close to 90. I said, Granny, what would you do if you became pregnant? She goes, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> she laughed. And I was like, how cool. I just got to, that's like Sarah, you know, how she would respond. But this is a beautiful thing. Um, the child of promise is named laughter. And, and I want you to look with me, um, or I'm gonna just read to you Psalm 2. This is very interesting. It says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. That's the world tyrants saying, we're gonna crush the world and use the world and make them our servants and slaves. But verse four, it says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. 
The Lord shall hold them in derision, and then he shall speak to them in his wrath. So in a way, Abraham's laughing and Sarah's laughing at the child of promise, who Isaac represents Jesus, was God laughing at all the worldly tyrants who think they can make human beings be their slaves to do their bidding, and God's laughing at them like, you guys have no idea, I'm gonna crush you like the little peons you are. And he's laughing. That's what the Feast of Trumpets is all about. So it's beautiful to look at that. God, God is just, he's laughing. The enemy has plans and God's going laughing. He's going, you guys are such losers. <laughs> Now, let me also quickly say this. The Feast of Trumpets is also associated with Abraham's willingness to sacrifice Isaac. They not only read Genesis 21, but they also read Genesis 22. So I'm gonna encourage you the next three days to read Genesis 22. The story is known as the binding of Isaac. And, and so let me share this scripture in Hebrews. Genesis 22 verse two says, God said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, by the way, that's the first mention of the word love in the Bible. The entire Bible is in Genesis 22 when God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love. First time the word love is mentioned in the Bible. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, I will tell you. What's interesting is where he said, take now your son, the Hebrew word now is na. And what it really means is, please. God asked Abraham, he didn't command him, take your son and get him up that mountain and sacrifice him. He didn't demand him. He said, Abraham, you love me? I've given you a promise, I'm gonna bless you. I gave you this miracle child and you laughed, I'm laughing, because through this child I'm gonna bring my kingdom from heaven to the earth and restore the whole world, but please, you're the first one. Please, will you trust me? I know I gave you the son and told you you'll have descendants like stars and sand. So Abraham's like, well, wait a second. If you think about it logically, if I'm gonna have descendants like the stars and like the dust beneath my feet, but I'm starting with my first one and you want me to offer my first one, how's that gonna work? How could there be any stars or descendants if you ask me? And God said, please, trust me. And we find out in the New Testament, the book of Romans, what was going on in Abraham's mind. I mean, this is wild. This guy is the father of the faith for Jews and Gentiles, Abraham, 4,000 years ago. He heard God say, take your son, the one you love, your only son, and sacrifice him on the mountain. And Abraham was willing to do it. How in the world could he do it? And Romans chapter four, basically, Paul the apostle by divine revelation reveals to us that Abraham reasoned in his mind, God, you are not a liar. You told me my son would have descendants like the stars and like the dust beneath their feet. Now you want me to take this son that I love and offer him willingly, sacrifice him on this mountain? Okay, I'll give him, but I will have to believe that you're not a mean God or a cruel God or a lying God and that you'll have to raise my son from the dead in order not to be a liar. And that's what God was looking for. One man who would say, I believe that God is not a liar. God keeps his promises. God keeps his word. If necessary, he will resurrect the dead. 
And that faith, he was the first one for all of us that are now children of God because you're saved because you believe God raised his son, Isaac, who is Jesus from the dead. Amen? It's beautiful. It's powerful. And it was, it's a willingness. We have to be willing to yield our hearts and yield our lives unto the Lord. So we're to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. We'll go back with me to uh, Acts chapter 20. We're going to finish this up. And I'm going to just read through the story because it really needs no, not much commentary. So Paul, following the Jewish customs, verse 26, took the men and the next day, having been purified with them, he entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, against the law in this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Not true, lies, rumors, but that's what they did. And all the city was disturbed and the people ran together, seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions, ran down to them, and when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was, what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing, and some said another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. And when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying, away with him. So what happened to Jesus is happening now to Paul. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? He replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? Paul said, no, I'm a Jew. I'm from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen. I'm a Roman, just like you, of no mean city. I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, and we'll stop there tonight. This was Paul's dream. The dream of his life was that he would be able to, he said, if anybody can convince Jews, Jesus is the Messiah. It's me. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a Jew of Jews, tribe of Benjamin, just like our first king, Saul. I can do it. And so that's where we're going to leave the story. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.